I think that what's important when walking away from swimming is the realization that, you know, you're more than just a swimmer, you know, your identity is not swimming. Um, you're much more than that. So for me walking away, I think what I've learned is that I guess through college, even through high school a little bit is that, you know, with your, I, with this, with this loss of sport, um, there's so many things to be excited about. And because you're losing one thing doesn't mean that you're losing everything. Welcome back to Social Kick. I'm Brian Lundquist. We got a smaller crew today because Luke has COVID, but we've got Dr. John Mullen uh, and NCAA standout, multi-time Pac-12 champion. A lot of people go to college for six years. Tommy, they're called doctors. <laughs> <laughs> uh grant schultz thanks for joining us freshly retired and uh, we appreciate you being here yeah thanks for having me uh well man just wanted to you know react and reflect uh some for you because i think you know all of us as swimmers go through this stage of of life um you know where the where what we've committed uh for most people you know at, at, at a high level our lives to um, your, your life suddenly takes maybe the biggest turn that it's ever taken outside of making a decision to go to college. Um, and, and yet here you are kind of in that moment. So I wanted to just get your, you know, immediate take on, um, you know, I guess immediate you retired in, in, in March or April, right before world championship trials, but after NCAAs, um, having, having gone through, uh, quite, quite the long, uh, college career of, of six years, which is a really special thing. So, um, you know, what led to the decision of retirement and, um, you know, let's maybe, maybe start there with what, what kind of factored into the decision and, um, kind of led you to where you are now. Yeah. Thank you. No, that's a great question. So there's a lot of things that led me to essentially retiring. Um, but just to clarify, like when I say retire, it's like, I'm retiring from competitive swimming. Um, I still, I still enjoy swimming and that Monday morning after like my retirement swim that happened on, um, that happened on a Saturday, I was back in the water at morning practice with the guys. So, um, I think that I might have a different, um, definition of retirement than others, but um, yeah, I definitely am retired from competitive swimming and what really led me to this place is the understanding of where my body is. Um, so I did have two surgeries during college and, um, although I tried to convince myself during the later half of my competitive career that like I was a hundred percent and that I could do anything, I really knew deep down that I was working at like 90 to 95% of what my body could actually achieve. And so knowing that, knowing that like when I grow up, I want to like, you know, throw a ball with my kids. I want to be an active person. I think that it was just the right decision to leave the competitiveness and leave that competitive field for now. Um, and then really move on to the next step. And I guess the second factor is, uh, like academics and preparation for med school. Um, so that is the route that I'm going and logistically looking at the way I wanted to finish my last quarter at Stanford, um, how I want to finish my research, my EMTing and prepping for this next step in life. 
it was just the right decision. And I didn't think that going to um, a meet that I most likely wouldn't have, well, A, I wouldn't have probably made the world championship team. Um, we have great middle distance swimmers now. And then two, even if I made that meet, I wouldn't be going to it <laughs> because of other commitments. So uh, for those reasons, it, it was a pretty easy decision, but I wanted to make sure that um, my last experience swimming was a positive one. At NCs, I like hands down, that was my most special race that I've ever swam. Having the guys around me, finishing out well, uh, giving everything I had, hitting the wall, knowing that I did everything possible to like finish on that. No, that being said, that was like the most painful race I've ever been in. Um, that was horrible. <laughs> so it was like, imagine like, you know, your last swim ever and you're swimming 66 laps and it's like, okay, like I get it. Like, this is my last race. It can end now. And it just went on and on and on. And it was so like, I love doing it for the guys. It was so miserable. Like for any NCAA <laughs> swimmer that swims like your last race as of, like a miler, like find a different way to end your swimming career, honestly. <laughs> so, so that led me to going back to Mission Viejo to swim uh, one last race, a little bit shorter, which was a 400 free. And that was probably like the only time in my career that like, I really didn't care about the results. Uh, it was just like having fun. Um, happened to put up, put up a decent time as well. So that was like cool, but like that wasn't the focus. It was just going out, being in a place that I can retire in a happy state so that when I go and see a pool, I'm not just reminded of like 66 laps of pain. I'm reminded of like being around friends and family. So sorry, that was a very long answer to why I retired and kind of what it took to get there. But um, yeah, what TLDR like, uh, <laughs> It was academics and um, my body. <laughs> yeah, well, I'm just laughing because John and I swam 50s and 100s, so there's no way that we would be swimming a mile as our last race. Yeah, no doubt about that, that's for sure. So when I hear you talk about, you know, that last race, other than all the 66 laps, we used to start the podcast asking because we had a lot of retired swimmers, what they really, what else they remember from their last race? But you have the 400 as your last official race. What do you remember about that race? Yeah, so it was cool that I got to go back to Mission Viejo and uh, finish with the club team that I grew up swimming for. Um, I think what I'll remember most is probably the people that like did show up um, and like that were there to see it. Um, I got to swim in front of some of my immediate family, um, like and my grandma, um, who hadn't seen me race since I was maybe 10 or 11 years old. Um, I got to swim in front of Coach Rose. That was really special because last time that we were together um, was Olympic trials in 2016. Um, had my high school swim coach. Um, so that was pretty special as well. And then being able to like just swim in front of like extended family, which is like the Natador family. Um, that was just really, really special, really key. And I think that that's what I'll remember most about not just that race, but also like the swimming community itself. And like my career is like, you know, you post, you post times and like you have these experiences while racing, but what you ultimately build are like these relationships and these connections with the people outside of the pool. 
um, that help you achieve your goals in the pool. So that is probably my biggest takeaway. Yeah. What do you, <clears throat> I, I think that sounds like you're in a really healthy place uh, with your retirement um, for a lot of reasons. I There's, we've had this conversation before where I think there's uh, some conflicting opinions amongst people we've talked to friends of ours about like whether or not it's good to know going into your last meet that you've got something else that you've got your side set on, or if it's better to have literally nothing planned in your life. Um, and, you know, because that gives you sort of a safety net and there's some people that say, well, you know, if you know that there's a safety net, then you don't, you're not fully committed, right. You're not fully bought into to this. Um, but, but you seem like, you know, you, you, you took the victory lap, you know, you like, you went back home to retire as a, as, as the, as the home club team, like, you know, you want to, you want to wear a mission Viejo cap into the hall of fame. Right. So like, um, so that's pretty special. Do you, do you feel like that? I don't know. What, what are your thoughts on, on, you know, doing it the way that you did it versus kind of all eggs in one basket? Yeah, I think that's a loaded question. I, hearing what you're saying about other athletes and other, other individuals that like go into the retirement swim, knowing it or not knowing it. I don't know if I can speak to what is the best way to go about it. But for me personally, from my experiences, I was very close to retiring like three or four times um, after my junior year of college, after my senior year of college, after my fifth year of college and then now and some were due to like mental health reasons some were due to um injuries some were due to covid uh you name it i was i was kind of already in that state of like should i should i retire should i not retire should i transfer like what should i do and going through that process multiple times and seeing the like getting on the other side of that decision and being like, okay, no, like, this is what I want to do. I want to finish my career on this note, but going through the process of making that decision, making the decision for like the fourth time or like the last time and knowing definitively, yes, this is how I want to end it. It just made the the process and the decision like that much clearer and that much easier. So for me, having that experience going through the process multiple times, I think is aiding me in this transition. Yeah. Yeah. It sounds like it. And I, and I think what I wish for all swimmers is that they finish their career and are in a healthy spot with a relationship with the pool and being in the water. And, you know, I, I recently ran into um, a retired athlete who was once a world champion and, um, and she told me like, no, I don't swim at all anymore because the only thing that it was about for me was competition, which I totally respect. But there's some people that reach that point of discouragement um, or frustration or whatever toward the end of their career. And it's like there's so much involved in sitting on top of their relationship with the water and swimming that they they kind of stay away from the pool because of that. So, like, I don't know, I'm happy for you that that you're in a place where you want to get back in and you already did, you know, and it's like, sweet, that's the way that it should be. Cause it's hard to think about doing that and spending so many hours doing it for so long and not leave in a, in a positive light. But so Brian, so you still swim masters. That's correct. Uh, yeah, I'll like get in and practice with masters and that's kind of how our, you know, the group of guys that we do this podcast with, we all met through master swimming. So, mm -hmm. 
Um, yeah, and now we don't all live in the same place and do masters together. But you know, uh, but yeah, I'd get, get, most of my training is is solo right now. But I do some of some a couple different masters groups as well. Very cool. And Dr. John, how about you? Oh yeah, so I uh, I swim a good amount right now. But um, you know, reflecting back on you know whenever we talk about last races, it just brings up memories of kind of how how my competitive collegiate career ended and you know similar to grant I, i'm just fortunate i ended on a positive note but even saying that you know i took multiple years off i was definitely in the oh, i'm not swimming again i'm burnout that type of mindset but no i swim a good amount right now probably three to five times a week um from unorganized masters group practices the masters practices where you know there's no one really closer you know around the same time but you know i think finding that love for the water and being in a good mental place. I mean, for the longest time, there's been the conversation of life after sport and, and all the issues about life after sport, whether it's mentally where athletes are after it or even just physically. Um, but there are huge things to still improve with life after sport and just ending someone's career on, on a high note and keeping them interested not only in their sport, but also in just fitness in general too often people will end their collegiate sport and, and not work out for a long time um of not just their sport but of anything so obviously the mental barriers and the mental health is is an issue there so like brian said i'm uh, happy to hear especially after someone dealing with surgeries and, and shoulder issues that you still love the sport and enjoy it i'm love can't wait to see you at lake tahoe so i'm gonna cross it <laughs> oh, that'd be that'd be so much fun <laughs> Yeah, hopefully you develop a better relationship with it than John, though, because John has to listen to music literally every time you swim. <laughs> oh, do you do you put on like those headphones while you swim? Yes, I do, and I have no shame about it. Um, you know, I used to wear the foam goggles when I swam at Purdue, so people have been calling me a wreck swimmer for the longest time, even when I was faster. So I'm fine to be in there with my music, and hey. I, I I will honestly admit, I really think colleges and elite swimmers should utilize it a little more. If you can have your favorite songs in there and you're doing like a repeat set, boom, you're skipping. Then you find your favorite song, boost that energy up and get you through that next repetition. So laugh all you want, B. I'll get you there one day, though. Didn't you try it out? You said that. You, yeah, no, I, I I make fun, but I actually I want I want to set, but I just wanted to have Bluetooth technology because I'm not loading songs onto. Uh, you don't iPod. load '90s rap music on there like I do because that's only MP3s I have anymore. <laughs> Little known fun fact: John is also a rap connoisseur. Okay, uh, Grant, I want to know some of the things that you're gonna remember most from your career, because like for me, I know that there are sets. Uh, that I remember that I just tore up. I, I remember a 2450 set uh, that was like kind of 200 free pace that I nailed my freshman year. Um, are there any are there any practice sets or training days that you'll look back to and be like, man, like that you'll remember forever as like a standout day? I'm trying to recall, but I think that something I really excelled at was having a short term memory when it came to practices and like, yes, I have a logbook and I have some practices in there that I wrote down for like way back when, but unless I dig through those, like I really don't remember much. Um, I'll remember guys do like getting up and doing suited swims and the times that they went and just being like mind blown. But 
for whatever reason, even if it's just the practice before or even the morning of, and I'm there for the afternoon, I just, I won't remember the set or I won't remember the practice. So no, um, <laughs> I don't, but you'll, some of the sets that I remember, remember you'll just sorry. remember the, uh, you'll just remember the ice bags on your shoulders as you walked away from the pool. <laughs> yeah, honestly, 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 but some of the sets that I remember other people doing was uh, true sweetster doing four or five thousands on 50 minutes. Um, another one I'll remember is Andre Minikov, uh, doing a dive 75 free and going 31 in practice in the speedo. Um, yeah, those are some good ones. Um, <laughs> Andre breaking the 200 free, uh, team record in practice which was at 132. So I'm not going to say what he went, but he went faster than that in practice. And ultimately that's why we put him on the four by 200 relay at, at NCs because um, we knew that he could go pretty fast. So sets like, or I guess those aren't really sets, but those are just like, like swims that I'll remember. Like it's, it's impossible to forget those because um, the whole team was going wild. Yeah. And you had to put him on that so we could all look at him just lay on the deck afterwards like he had been killed for, I think, the rest of the relay, right? Yeah, pretty much. Yeah, he looked like a, a soldier that just got shot. He was, there you uh, go. he was on the ground. So that was that was good. But, I mean, it was pretty amazing, like, what he did uh, that entire yeah. meet. So um, the, the dude can do anything he wants to. So it's amazing. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So, uh, what about just college experience? Anything that's, uh, you could share publicly. <laughs> um, what, what, what do you think are some of the, some of the key takeaways that you'll always remember from your college career? My sophomore year, I lived with, uh, four swimmers and that was probably my most favorite room setup that I had all of college and remind you, I've, been in college for six years so i've had a different uh a lot of different experiences and that was by far like the most fun i had uh we were living in like a suite set up so we each had our own room and then we had a common area and it was just like constantly being around the guys um just a lot of memories that were made there so that sticks out to me john what about you actually I'm curious. I'm curious about you. What 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 sticks in your brain today? Because like you and I are both uh, far removed from from walking away. And when I think about that, I'm like the thought that just popped into my head was, I remember uh, shenanigans with with the guys. We got one day we got this um water balloon launcher and we packed uh, a forerunner with water balloons, and with the forerunner you could like put the back down. Uh, the back window re was retractable. So we drove around with two of us in the back seat. And I remember pulling up to Fred Bousquet's house and he was sitting in his bedroom window on the second floor and the window was open, but it had a screen in front of it. And I remember us just like launching a water balloon that hit the screen and just splattered all over Fred. And he was like yelling out the window as we just peeled out of the driveway. That's the kind of stuff that, that I think about. Oh, yeah. I mean, that's where, where I'm at. And, and Grant kind of mentioned the teammates and the team aspect of it all. And I mean, most of mine are probably not meant to be shared. I'm not sure what the statute of limitation on uh, initiation is nowadays, or I know that's not an appropriate thing to discuss. But, you know, those were some of the best memories I have. 
I mean, as far as other things, remembering people's practices, we had one guy my freshman year. So in the my freshman year, somehow they put me in two fly, did well, made my national cut. So I ended up getting national cut with my yards time because um, that was still a thing. And we had one other guy, our best flyer, just miss it. And he was a senior and it was like his goal to make that that national cut. So for five days in a row, our coach brought officials in over the summer for him to try to get the 200 fly national record. And I would go watch him do this. And I was at the, on day five, I was the only one there because he was getting worse every day. He was adding like a second every time, but I'll never forget that. And I was just like, God, I can't believe he's going again at it, especially as a freshman, right? This guy was a senior, someone I looked up to, and I would still look up to it. It was, you know, like I said, he didn't get it, but just the the determination and willing to step back up there after failure over and over, um, man, that that vividly stands out to me as like, a, man, uh, I, this is a great guy, um, but also a great moment just to kind of set an example. And, and I think, like you said, the, the teammates and, and those things are the things I remember. Yeah, I, that just makes me think about last chance meets. Last chance yep. meets are so sad. They're so sad, so quiet. Probably great practice for COVID because they're <laughs> like nobody's cheering hardly. Um, but <clears throat> you have that rare, rare good swim. Um, so, Grant, what what do you think you'll take with you from your swimming career besides uh, some <clears throat> well-beaten shoulders? Uh, that's not the obvious, like your work ethic and, um, you know, the camaraderie is, is there anything, is there anything, you know, maybe that's not obvious that you think, uh, you've, you've learned or develop as you've kind of gone through this commitment to a singular thing for so long that you'll, that you'll take with you that you can use, uh, in your life? Yeah, I think that. I think that what's important when walking away from swimming is the realization that, you know, you're more than just a swimmer, you know, your identity is not swimming. Um, you're much more than that. So for me walking away, I think what I've learned is that I guess through college, even through high school a little bit is that, you know, with your, I, with this, with this loss of sport, um, there's so many things to be excited about and because you're losing one thing doesn't mean that you're losing everything. Um, so I think that like mentally being able to understand that is just, um, a massive, massive, massive undertaking, but, um, it's just something that I've learned along the way. Yeah. Yeah. Well, let me, let me ask you this then, um, because, <clears throat> So I'm curious if there is anything that you uh, had had hoped to do, had hoped to achieve, uh, whether it be you know a, a time or um, a win or something that eluded you in your swimming career that um, you know that that you might you might think about years later. And I'll, I'll give you my example. So it it still kind of haunts me that I never went 48 in the hundred free. Um, I was 49 one. I did it at a taper meet that year. I was 49 multiple times in season at multiple meets and I wasn't, you know, a fast in season swimmer. Usually, usually I dropped a lot of time at a taper meet. So 
like to this day, I believe I had a 48 mid to low in me and I know what my 49 one swim felt like. And it felt like kind of a flat into the meat kind of swim. Um, and in comparison to prior swims, I know what that flat swim felt like compared to the swim where I absolutely ripped it. Right. And so just based on that, I, I, I feel like I left that on the table and I walked away not having, not having done that. And so, and, and truthfully, I, I think that I channel that um, by by like competing in triathlon and doing other things that um, I'm trying to get the best out of myself because I want that payoff. I want that payoff of I put in all the time and I and therefore I want to see what I was capable of. Um, are there any things for you that kind of strike a chord when I say that um, <clears throat> that? you know, you, you really wanted, but you may be at peace with it walking away, but yet still were left on the table. Yeah. I think there's a couple things. I think that it's, it's tough looking at my times and seeing that my best 200 free was from high school. I think that would like, that one is just like, Oh man, like you're kidding. Um, but I'm not like the first person to have that happen to them. And, mm -hmm. um, so that doesn't get me as down as much. It's just like, ah, oh, like shit, you know, like I wish I had that one, but, um, my 500 time is four ten zero two, And so that's a pretty unsatisfying number knowing that I was 0.03 away from breaking four ten, Um, and that was my sophomore year. So I was like, oh, like I'll, I'll get this, you know, but I'm not upset about it because what, what started happening at NCs is you had those top guys being able to go like pretty easy in prelims, right? Mm -hmm. um, like the, like the Townley Hosses, Felix Arbach, um, even like Flim Nuth, um, but he would still, you know, kill it in the mornings. But um, you had these guys that could go kind of easy and then kill it in finals. And what's happened as of late is everyone goes hard in the 500 free and prelims. It is like one of the most competitive races. And so I think that because of that, that probably didn't help my cause for trying to break 410 because you have to set it in the morning, set it at night. So in my, in my mind, if I was able to, you know, take it easy in prelims or like not have prelims, I, I know I could have broken that barrier. So that does eat me up a little bit knowing that I didn't break 410 ever uh, and joining that like exclusive list. Um, but apparently now the exclusive list is under 408. So um, <laughs> right. in a number of years, I'm not really sure if it matters or not, but yeah. for me, that that is one barrier that I, I wish I had broken. Yeah. Yeah. I think when it's all said and done, you know, times keep progressing. Brian and I can talk about how fast things have gotten where most of these times now, like you said, it's more just what it meant to us. Right. And it's funny what these barriers are, you know, breaking 20 point was me. My best was 20.07, never got under. So that one definitely sticks with me. And it's funny, like you said, Brian, it's like, I think, I, I think every swimmer does this, you know, the perfect race, right? You have the splits, you have what it could have been and you know what you, what you should have been. And I wonder how, how many people feel like that they did get their perfect race or if anyone really does. Well, I mean, so I feel like I, I did, yeah. uh, I feel that way about uh, a 50 butterfly, um, yeah. but, 
but I just, I never got it in the hundred free. And that, yeah. that was the event that, you know, gave me the best chance to make the Olympic team. So sure. I think, uh, but, but yeah, I, I do feel like I at least checked the box on that. And that's, that's kind of why it, like, it doesn't eat at me every day. It's just like, you know, sometimes there are things that you go, nah, God, I just wish I had, I wish I was a 409 guy, you know, but, and the thing is you like, I'm, like you said, you were a 409 guy, you know that it's just like, it never showed up on the results page, but you know, like clearly you put, you trained well enough to do it. And, you know, and, and then it's just like, um, and, and you can walk away at peace knowing, knowing that. So. Yeah. Something that I, I did accomplish just accomplished before I, I guess something I've accomplished, I wouldn't say before I retired cause one actually came post, but, um, broke 20 in practice. Um, so that was fun. It was from a relay dive in the 50, but, uh, it was one of those things is like, I'm not leaving. I'm not like going to stop swimming until I do this. Um, I am a 24 year old man. I need to be able to break 20. And so for me, having my sprint game, not very good. I was like, okay, we're doing this today. And it was like 1992. And then, uh, actually last Saturday, um, I was at practice. I, I'll, so I'll get in like with the guys like Mondays or Saturdays or sometimes Fridays, just like depending on the week, my schedule, my classes. And they're on Friday. They're like, Oh, come on. You got to race with us. And I was like, I'll race if the athletic trainer puts on a suit and races with me. So obviously the athletic trainer didn't put on a suit. So I didn't race that day. But on Saturday uh, I said, you know what? Screw it. I'll do a 50. And my best time is like 24 one. And I was like, you know, this would be something I could finally say I've broken 24 and sure enough, went 23, eight. So, um, got to check that, you know, check that off, um, as an accomplishment, I have been doing like a lot of power in the weight room. So I think that hopefully this is the beginning of a new sprint life for me in the non-competitive sector of swimming. But, um, you know, it is good walking to the sunset, getting these 50 times down. Uh, it just sounds so much like a distant swimmer who <laughs> a distant swimmer who years just wanted to be in the sprint group and then had to suffer through his 66 laps of his last college race. Actually, I think that is that the swimming equivalent of being able to dunk? That's what it sounds like. I, I think so. But I don't know. I, I feel like there's no height factor in swimming. Like, in, in basketball, if you're like seven foot and you're not dunking, it's like, dude, <laughs> right? But in swimming, it's like, if you're seven foot and you're like not breaking 20, it's like, why are you swimming? <laughs> so I don't know. But I think for the elusiveness factor, probably, that's probably a good um, analogy. Man, I thought for a second you were saying you went 19 flat start. And I was like, man, throw salt in the wound over here at me, man. You just uh, hop up and do it. But uh, yeah, welcome to the under 20 point with the Relay Start Club. I'm uh, glad you're a part of it, Grant. Thanks. It's great to be here. <laughs> there you go. You got to get your strength coach. I think uh, Justin, who used to be on the podcast here, he's uh, helping out as a strength coach or strength coach intern at Stanford with the men's team. You'll have to get him to do some uh distance sets with you well ironically he was the person that i asked to put on a suit and he was the one that oh okay yeah yep. I figured it, it wouldn't be that far away to be him so yeah i know you can take him in a 50 that's for sure uh, i don't know i haven't seen him race i won't i won't assume anything i know you can take him in a 50 i'll just leave it there i'll just leave it there <laughs> um 
Hey, uh, Grant, do you think you'll ever develop mastery? Well, I, I hope I hope that you do as you're going to med school. Um, but do you do you ever? I mean, think about like how many hours you've put into to swimming and how many strokes, how many thousands or hundreds of thousands of strokes you've taken, or maybe a million. Have you taken over a million strokes? Do you think that you'll ever develop mastery uh, in another thing the same way you developed mastery in swimming? I hope so. I mean, if I'm going in medicine, I really hope I'm some kind of master. Um, <laughs> but, me too. Yeah. Sorry. That's me too. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. I don't know. I don't know how many strokes I've taken. Definitely taken a lot of strokes. Um, I have like the Garmin watch. So it like keeps track okay. of like a lot of um, data points. Um, I mean, I've, I swam over a million meters this year. So I must be somewhere over a million strokes. <laughs> I was going to say, definitely over a million strokes. Uh, I can guarantee that. Yeah. I've never even looked at an entire year and seen how much, how, uh, what the volume was. Hmm. <clears throat> yeah. Well, hey, maybe, maybe with your uh, budding sprint career, there's uh, an ISL in your future. Is there an ISL in the future? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I'm just uh, proposing that maybe there is now that you've got the sprint prowess. <laughs> but I think he's asking what you're wondering, Brian. Will there ever be an ISL again? Dun, yeah, dun, dun. Great. Yeah. Who knows? Uh, if 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 there's any money, if uh, if this war could end, maybe maybe we'd see. But oh, that's so crazy. Um, all right, Grant. Just a, a few rapid fire questions for you. What's the hardest race in swimming? Two hundred back. Olympic gold or world record? Olympic gold. Uh, you may have mentioned this already because you gave some of the Minakov examples, but what's the most impressive feat that you've seen someone else do? Um, this year at Pac-12s, um, we had a butterfly or something, the 100 butterfly, I guess that makes sense. Okay, whatever. But um, some of the 100 butterfly and hits the first wall, dislocates his shoulder, uh, like subluxation, um, continues the race, pops back in, still beats a guy. <laughs> so that was without a doubt, the most incredible thing I've ever seen. See, that's, that's when we need the, the like, um, elimination points or whatever they are in the ISL, uh, in, in college swimming or, or wherever that was. Yeah. Um, yeah, that's a, that's insult to injury. I hope that guy never lived that down. Um, are you the fittest right now or, you know, in your last year of swimming that you think you'll ever be in your life? No, no, I'm definitely not. I, um, you know, I'm doing like three chest days a week. And, you know, I'm definitely like more cut up top than I used to be. Um, I've been trying I was like, oh, maybe I should do some triathlons and started like running a little bit. I was doing like the run, walk, run, walk um, progression. And apparently I was overdoing it because I got tendonitis in my knee after two weeks of running. Um, so I don't know about the lower body, but we're working on the upper body. And I can say that I'm already in a better place at, uh, than where I was when I retired. For that sprint career, baby. Yeah. Chest day every day. Chest day every day. Now I know you've been working out with Justin for sure. No, no. He walks to the weight room. I'm doing my own thing. But um, 
yeah, I am like starting to look like more of like a Dorito, um, especially with the with like the chicken legs coming in. <laughs> oh, an upside down Dorito. All right, when will Stanford men win NCAA's again? Ooh, good question. That's a good question. I so this is a loaded question. If you would have asked me before the COVID additional year rule. I would have said like two years, hmm. but what we're seeing now is there's a lot of transfers that are going to already really good programs. And the difficulty with Stanford is that Stanford as an institution does not accept transfers. We have like three or four a year for the entire university. Wow. And so with that being said, I think that, if that was not there, we would we would be at that level in the next two years. I think that that rule is making it really really difficult. Um, you can already see it with you know Florida, Cal, Texas, like those those teams getting those transfers, even NC State getting those transfers. That makes it all the more difficult to compete. I think that we can definitely be a top four team in the next two or so years, but. Um, Maybe we can win a championship in three or four, but yeah, I think, I think that that's hurting us just a little bit. Yeah. And I didn't know that about Stanford as an institution, uh, that it's that wide. So, wow. Um, who would, who would be your draft pick, uh, if you could poach a regular senior from the NCAA this year to go to Stanford, who's number one. So graduating or like upcoming senior? Uh, either one. Oh, man. And I have anyone? Yeah. Hypothetical. Oh, my goodness. This is really tough. Um, got that draft board. You got to look at the whole NCAA, you know? But you got – was it? Is it Max McHugh? Would you poach him from Minnesota? I don't know. There's so many names that are like, I don't even know what year they are because when I started, they were like in middle school. Yeah. You are the old man. Yeah. So I don't know if it's like my brain just like not being able to function because I'm getting so old, but I literally can't think like, I think there's too many names. Um, mm -hmm. Like McHugh is fantastic. Um, is Reese a fifth year or is he a senior? Like I literally yeah. don't know. Yeah. He's I, a, I, like, I can't figure it out. Senior. Yeah. This year. Yeah, I mean, like no one, like, like Kibler's got to be a high senior, one, or like a redshirt senior, redshirt junior, redshirt. Like, can I just have yeah. anyone? Can I just like draft anyone in the world? Yeah, Caleb Dresden. Oh, Thank you, yeah. Caleb. <laughs> Says the guy who went to college for six years. I'm sure everybody else is like, "Geez, how long is Grant Schultz going to be at Stanford?" <laughs> Yeah, no, I got a lot of comments on like forums about like how old I am. And I don't know if you saw any of those, but apparently I'm like dating the moms in the stands and uh, have a daughter and all these things. So, yeah, who's who do you think is the, the better message board uh, legend, you or Dean Ferris? Oh, definitely Dean. I mean, he has like he's gotten memes so hard for so long. Like my, my memes have like been more recent 
but not as thorough. His are like elaborate. Yeah. Um, so I think that he takes the cake for sure. So, so who would you put the throne? Uh, who would you put on the throne for the next <clears throat> great uh, message board meme star? I think. Hmm. On your way out, on your way out, you must anoint must the next anoint. torchbearer. Um, I think Brooks Curry. I think that because he's such a likable guy and really like establishing the LSU program, I think that he would be a great candidate. Uh, the mullets there, the pit vipers are there, the jorts are there. I think that he is like amped, ready to go. I love it. Uh, all right. I love it. <clears throat> uh, do you pee in the pool? I think that if you say that you don't, then you're a liar. Agreed. Uh, now that you're a retired swimmer, how often will you do social kick? Um, I do it just about every day. Yeah. Well, sometimes I'm swimming by myself, so I'll be social kicking by myself, but, uh, I enjoy the pace of it. It's a nice pace, especially on a nice day. Um, so it's like an anti-social kick, but, uh, I definitely do enjoy it. God, I hope you social kick faster than Luke does. He is the slowest social kicker in the world. Oh man. Grant, thanks so much for hanging out with us. Uh, best of luck to you and, and all your future endeavors. Um, I sincerely hope that you develop mastery in the medical profession <laughs> and I'm sure you will. That's going to be a hell of a fun ride. So, um, congrats, man. Cheers to you. Thanks for the time. Thank you. Thanks for having me. That's it for this episode of Social Kick, and we'll see you next time. Hey, everybody. Thanks for hanging out with us. If you're enjoying Social Kick, tell your friends about it, and be sure to tell us what you liked by leaving a comment and subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. Follow us on Instagram. Please subscribe to our YouTube channel, The Social Kick, and you can find all of our content on our website,